0: Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Welcome, Jackie. Well, we're back for part two. Last week, uh, we started reviewing the revelations that I had that I presented at the ICDL conference last month, the biggest revelations from being a floor time parent. And we went over the first five of them. And so we're back today, continuing on with the next five. It, it was great hearing your feedback. I really appreciated all of your thoughts about it and really making me reflect on them more because, uh, to be honest, I didn't share that presentation with anybody before I presented it. So I, I just, people knew, a couple people knew what the title was, but I didn't bounce those ideas off of anybody. So this is a great process for me to, to get your feedback on it. And um, it made me think even more about these takeaways, and I'm hoping that'll be helpful to other parents out there.
1: Yeah, I, Daria, it, 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 it's, it, it's really a wonderful process to reflect through them for you as a parent, but it's also a great process for me to reflect through it as, a, as, as somebody who supports parents and to really think about what are the experiences that parents have, and I hope that other parents will find the same in this process.
0: Awesome. So, shall we jump into number six? Let's Let's do it. And for those of you that missed the first five, if you go to affectautism.com, uh, do a search for um, "floor time revelations" to catch part one. Number six: flexibility is essential. And yeah, you don't have to be a robot, and you don't have to walk on eggshells. So, in the ICL conference that I referred to a few minutes ago that Mary Beth Stark did, she talked about working with a child who was a teen and she allowed the uncomfortable. And I liked the way she phrased that. um So many parents are terrified of the uncomfortable. And of course, it happens to me every day too. My son's like, no! Nah! do that. I'm like, oh, oh, how can I make it better? Oh, let me help you. Yes, whatever you want, sweetie. You're my, the angel of my life. You're the apple of my eye. I'll do anything for you in the whole world. And that's wonderful to love your child and adore your child. But I've also seen it to the extreme, you know, where parents will walk through hoops and jump and this and that just to not upset their child and I don't know that that's doing the child a favor because It's not going to be the case that every time they need something, someone's going to be their hand and foot to help them with it. And um, yeah, Dr. Greenspan talked about these ways to co-regulate with children who are upset where, you know, there might be a little bit of frustration tolerance and that's been taken out of context by some people sometimes. And it's because they're not understanding the concept. It's not saying torture your child and and make them uncomfortable. No, it's saying when things happen that are uncomfortable, co-regulate, help calm the child down. And when they're in a good mood, that's when we challenge and expand and we do something a little bit different. So I gave the example in the presentation that we would walk around the stroller, downtown Toronto, go see a bunch of fountains and one day uncle was with us and we said, oh, let's go show uncle the fountains, Ooh! And we go for the walk to the fountain and oh no, I forgot. It's after labor day, all the fountains in the city are shut off and there's a meltdown. And guess what? There's nothing I can do about it. Absolutely nothing I can do. Turn it back on. And I said, oh no, no. And you know, there was all the questions like who turns it back on? Well, the the man that works at the city, go ask the man (laughs) like but you know to him that's what he heard he said so he told him go my child go ask the man you know go ask the man i need this fountain on kind of thing and um all you can do at that point is oh i know sweetie you really wanted to see the water fountain oh no we have to wait till next year after your birthday. His birthday's in May, so that's around the time that Victoria Day in Canada, Memorial Day in, in the States. Around that time, the water turns back on. We have to wait till next year, oh. And that toleration, frustration tolerance is not to do it when you're stressed out, but when the child's happy. So how can we practice for those uncomfortable situations is when you're at home you're playing you're having fun um and i gave the example a video of my child wanting to drive trains a certain way put them on the track and that's it and i was challenging him by saying i don't want to drive that way i'm going to drive this way and he watched me curiously and i'd put the train over there and he went and go picked it up and he wanted to put it right back where he wants it and i said but i don't want to be here i pretended i was the voice of the train I don't I want to be here and he was playful enough and he he did you could tell he didn't want to but he complied and he said oh okay gave it back to me and I put it over there and then I did something a little bit different and something a little bit different and he was in a good mood and we were having fun and it was following his lead in his interest of trains so he was more open to those challenges and expansion and doing that time after time after time day after day month after month will prepare him for those times that he can't get his way because guess what? The store is closed. And that item that we promised we'd buy you every time you did this thing that we want you to do, we can't get it because the store is closed. And, you know, you don't want to be walking on eggshells and and having to provide those tokens every time your child does something.
1: You know, Daria, I think, I think you know, we need t- to go... Being comfortable in the un- and I, I say being comfortable in the uncomfortable—to take it to push it a little bit farther—and just the example that you gave of of your at the fountain with with your son, that in that moment your first your first reaction as a parent, because you're you are in that moment of uncomfortable with him already, and you want to make it just go away, because. There's all of this world out there. And sometimes we also have to remember that we have to be uncomfortable. We have to be comfortable with all the other people's uncomfortable and not fix that. And then you know, you, you're talking about this concept of co-regulation. We have to be inside the uncomfortable with our child. And it goes back to that concept of being in this in the moment. And we then use our regulation to co-regulate to help our child work through that. And because I've had the, the, the distinct pleasure of interacting with, with Daria's son, we had an experience together and we had, we, we had, it, we had a problem. And I can remember, Bummer, dude, you know, where it was like, I validated how he was feeling. I didn't try to make it go away, but I get it. And I think that that's the piece that we also have to share with our children, because when they feel understood, they start to be able to learn that co-regulation. Just as like in, in Daria's example with the trains, she clearly let him know and understood that he wanted his trains to go a different way. She let him know that. And yet she challenged him a little bit. To help him develop some flexibility in his thinking but it's so important be comfortable inside the uncomfortable and somebody else's uncomfortable the only person that you have to worry about is your child and yourself
0: and certainly that's easier said than done in a lot of cases but Yeah, the other point here about flexibility is that growth and development are dynamic. They are not static and set in stone. So what works today is not going to work next month or next year. Your child is constantly changing and and you're constantly changing in response to that. And you're always needing to be in that moment because if you're not in that moment checking in, you're not going to be flexible. You're going to just stick to what you've always done.
1: I think the other, the other piece that, that just pops into my head, you know, about, about, you know, we talked about structures and routines that if we're going on a walk and we know that the fountain might be on or it might not be on, letting our child know beforehand, you know, I don't know if the fountain is gonna be on or not so that they have an expectation They know what the expectation is. That's also really important in terms of that predictability and routine.
0: Yeah. And in the case of my example, I never in a million years thought the fountain was off (laughs) because had I, I probably would never have suggested we go to the fountain, which it was a blessing in disguise that the fountain was off because it forced me to be in a situation where I had to co-regulate because I was always trying to make things better and not rock the boat. And you probably learned that for future,
1: sometimes things are not as we think they are going to be. So
0: there has to be a conversation beforehand. And we got out the other side and we were okay. Here to tell the tale. And this is about constantly revisiting the D, the I, and the R in the DIR model, the development. Where is your child developmentally? It's easy to to think they're here and all of a sudden they're there. Where are they? Checking in. What about their individual differences, the I? Their sensory processing will change over time. And the R, the relationship. You know, you can have bad days and your child will act defensive around you because maybe you snapped at them because you had a bad day. But you can always go in and repair a relationship. And all of these things are dynamic and a process. And um, the resource I thought of for this one was moving up and down the developmental ladder with Dr. Tippy, where he talks about, you know, you might be in floor time, you might be challenging and expanding the play and having fun and being playful and being silly, trying new things and then all of a sudden your child's dysregulated, whoop, right back down to the first capacity of regulation and we're back to co-regulating. Um, so that that is discussed in that podcast. We're talking about my biggest revelations in as being a floor time parent. The seventh one is to know yourself and what you're comfortable with and have you completed your own sensory processing profile and giving yourself a break because, um, you know, I gave the example of the fact that I'm not an outdoors person. So doing floor time in the summer out on the grass near flowers where there's bees and flies flying around me, I'm going to be so dysregulated. That's not a good place for me to help co-regulate my child. Um, but there's other places that I'm much more comfortable. So we always want to think about matching our individual differences to our child's so that it's a good fit. And I did this podcast with Dr. Kathy Platzman about how your regulation is going to affect your child's regulation. And if every time you see um, a spider, you go, ah, spider! Your child's probably going to learn that spiders are scary. (laughs) So your regulation is affecting your child's regulation. Uh, That may be a a silly example, but it's a more... um, a more universal example:
1: your responses, your 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 regulation, your responses, your responses to situations, and sometimes for 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 some of our kiddos as they're working in in, in and out of those developmental ladder uh, levels, as Daria explained, sometimes that ah, it's a spider may not be interpreted necessarily as a negative. A, a negative a, ne- a negative reaction so you know when the child is is sitting at the table and they they pour their glass out or they they knock things off the table and we're like no that in, that may be an interpretation you know it's, it's it's difficult for us to tolerate but the child may interpret it in a very different way than, than the message that we're trying to give them and so going to that point of what how what what are what is your level of tolerance also goes hand in hand with what is what, what are the things like you know Daria's example you know I don't she's not so keen on 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 being out in the grass with the bugs and stuff versus me who is very happy being out in the bu- with all the bugs and stuff I just can't do worms you know and 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 understanding that component of ourselves and then saying I'm not going to do the outside thing. Maybe you should do the outside thing. And feeling okay with the differences that each of us bring to the table. That helps us then to tune into our child and be okay with the differences and the uniqueness that they bring to the table.
0: And when you say the child may not take it as we intend. I'll just give an example of that. Um, My husband is very quiet and introverted. And so when um, dad might be the one to say, don't do that. All of a sudden, instead of the child thinking, Oh, that's something I shouldn't do. He's going cool. Dad does stuff other than be quiet and sit there. Ooh, I'm going to do that again because I want to see that affect in my dad. And we've had that happen over the course of a few years has gone through a few different things. I've talked about it in many podcasts, how, you know, um, brushing teeth was not fun. So I slapped dad in the face and dad goes, Hey, and gets really angry. Oh, that was cool. I'm going to slap him in the face again. And now I'm going to start slapping my friends at school to see what happens when I smack them. And ooh, cause and effect. This is cool. And it's coming from curiosity and playfulness. And it's a developmental stage that babies go through. Uh, But it's not a behavior issue. He's not being a bad boy because he smacks data in the face, which is the way a behavioral approach might look at it. We want to extinguish this behavior. Instead, we're looking at the why. why. Why did he smack somebody in the face and every child may do it for a different reason. But in this case, it was very clear. I love the reaction I'm getting out of dad. And then right away in the next month or two, start seeing it at school. We get the reports. He's hitting his friends. He's saying he hits them and then he goes, ow, because he's waiting for them to say, ow. And he's like watching for the ow. And he's like, has a smile on his face and it's totally innocent, but obviously you can't Allow that behavior, but by understanding why it's happening. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, we have to know what we're comfortable with. And we have to know that if every time I do this, my child's going to smack me in the face and I'm going to get dysregulated, maybe I'm going to let someone else do the brushing for a while because I don't want to get dysregulated um, around my child kind of thing. So, we've had to balance that for sure. And quite honestly, if
1: somebody slaps, if your child slaps you in the face, it's very hard not to have that kind of a response because it hurts. Yeah. It hurts, it hurts from a physical perspective, but it also hurts here. And so, so you know what, I think that that's, that, that, that's why it's, it's important to know how we react and to also also give ourselves the space and the time
0: to stop and think about what's happening here for sure and you just said it take the time (laughs) so the next revelation is take the time and effort to see and understand your child now we've already talked about this a lot but um yeah floor time is all about feeling understood that's one of dr greenspan's most quoted things um nothing no better feeling than feeling understood And this don't assume things, always presume competence and attune. So this is really the heart of this revelation for me, taking the time and effort to see and understand your child means attuning to them. So I've done this numerous times and I see parents do it all the time. Oh, no, no, my child doesn't like that. Eunice Lee talked about it in the podcast we did where the parent will say, oh, my child only wants to play with that toy. If you don't have that toy, they are gonna get upset. And she's like, oh, well, you know, what if that's maybe not the case? What if maybe there's another toy and the child might like that too? We don't know unless we try. And so sometimes the parents are the ones that are rigid. And when we talk about our children's interests being rigid, a lot of times it's the parents because we're so scared of that meltdown. Um, we we see what works and we don't want to stray from that path. And it's easy for us to assume and say, no, no, my child doesn't want to do that. Thank you very much. And then your child goes and has a great time doing that and you're shocked. So we always want to attune into our child and see, you know, where are they at? Wait, watch and wonder those three W's in floor time. Let's see what's happening. Let's presume that they can and that they understand and that they are knowing it's, even if they aren't yet, I'd rather presume that, and that sends the message to them, like, I believe you can do it. And that's one of the things Dr. Tibby always says, is we want them to know that they can come across a problem, and you have everything you need in your head to solve that problem. And of course, I I put down, you know, professional counseling and coaching always helps with that, And um, I mentioned in the presentation that our go to person for our son has been Maude LaRue, the occupational therapist who runs a total approach in Pennsylvania. It's been amazing to have her insight into my son's development. And similarly, to have the insight of all of the other people who have been mentors to me, like you, Jackie, on a professional level where I'm coaching other parents. So I'm getting that coaching as a coach for other parents and peer coach, and then also getting coaching as a parent to my own child. And when you have someone else's eyes, they can say the things like Eunice said, like, Hmm, are you sure you're not assuming something about your child there? That isn't true. A tune in, wait, watch and wonder, and and let's see what might be. And, I did a blog about attunement. And
1: I think the, uh, the, the thing to point out here is that sometimes
0: we, we,
1: we do that, presume confidence and attune, and we think that we have figured it out. And yet sometimes we haven't figured it out, which is why that weight, watch and wonder is so important. I can, you know, I had an example where I was working with a mom and she, she had recently had a baby and, and the, her, the other child who was the little guy that I was working with he start, at this, on the same timeline, coincidentally started to have some really significant behavior problems where, where he was, you know, things were being thrown and, you know, it was just things were kind of got quite chaotic and crazy. And mom thought, well, it's because I had had this baby and, you know, the baby had been around now for four or five or six weeks. So, you know, we should have gotten used to it. So we went back to the drawing board and said, well, wait a minute, let's look and see what else is going on. Well, because mom had had the baby, she was not as, as engaged with him physically and she was using a lot more language and he, that, that it was that which created all the chaos because he couldn't manage all of that. So it took us a little bit of time to figure out where, where, where things were. And when we just, mom reduced and slowed down the amount of language he was able to be more engaged with her and be interactive again because we knew that that was something that he was capable of and we just had to attune to where he was so you know it's 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 it's, it isn't it isn't a here you go here's what it is poof and then it, it takes care of it sometimes we really do have to think think and wait, watch and wonder and ponder.
0: And it is very natural for a lot of us to be problem solvers. And Dr. Nassif talked about this in terms of fathers that stereotypically dads want to fix things. And so fixing things is having our own idea about making things better as opposed to just attuning to our child. And actually, um, ICDL CEO Jeff Gunzel made a point during one of the conferences, and he said that the shift for him as he learned more about floor time was um, instead of doing things for his kids, he started enjoying things with his kids. And I think that's what we mean by this revelation, just taking that time and effort to be with, to see, to attune. Okay, this one, get clear on socialization. This more or less, I think, is less of a revelation and more of a pet peeve of mine. (laughs) Everyone always says, oh, you need to socialize. Your kids need to socialize. Oh, no, if they don't go to school, they're not getting their socialization. Socialization is important, but not in the way that we're often told. So we always need to look at our child's developmental level. Where are they? And then if we're socialized, if they're socializing with other kids, we need to facilitate that from where the child is developmentally. You don't just say, oh, there's the neighborhood kids, pass your kid outside and say, play with them. Yes, we want them to see how peers interact and learn how to interact with peers, but that's not just going to happen on its own without some kind of facilitation. And it is the emotional experience that fosters learning, not us teaching them, oh, say hi to so-and-so. Oh, they asked how your day was. How was your day? Ask them how their day was. That's a script. But when they get that emotional experience of seeing the other child, wondering what's happening with that child, wanting to respond, and having some kind of relationship start, that happens more naturally. And The podcast resource for this was with Christy Gozi, where she talked about doing floor time with family and small groups, where she actually said a lot of the time, she's spending more time with the neurotypical kids in the group, really facilitating them to understand the neurodiverse children in the group, and how can we work together. And she pointed out that often siblings know the most about their neurodiverse siblings than the parents do. They'll say, oh, he doesn't like it when you do this. Oh, he really likes it when you do this. And so um, just being able to start somewhere and facilitate something where that child is developmentally, as opposed to saying that just having them socialize with kids is going to improve their socialization. It's like what we talked about before, like sitting in a seat with your seatbelt on is going to be good practice for sitting in school one day. (laughs) That's not how it happens.
1: So socialization is an experience. It's not a skill. It's an experience. And we have to provide the the, the 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 atmosphere, if you will, for children to experience it in a way that kind of works works with where they are from the from the developmental their developmental levels. And so that's why it's important that we that we facilitate the process and that we don't think, well, if I just sent you to school with other children or send you to this group or this, you know, I, I don't know what you're going to learn to socialize. Socialization is supported by the developmental capacities and that emotional interaction and, 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 and experience. It's an experience.
0: And that's not to say that being around kids all the time, you aren't going to pick stuff up on your own without an adult facilitating it. But it's just saying that it's, over the top, the amount that I hear that even, you know, parents of neurotypical kids who are two, oh, we need to send them to daycare so they can socialize. And it's just, that's not, unless your child can have engagement and back and forth reciprocity interactions with you first, your primary caregiver, they're not gonna do it with peers. It develops first with with primary caregivers And then branches out. So, just throwing them to the wolves, so to speak, is not how socialization works. So, that one was more of a pet peeve of mine than anything else. The big grand finale you can't change anyone, you can only floor time them. (laughs) And I think I'll be working on this one forever because, um, you know, we do, the more we advocate for our child, the higher our expectations get of others doing the same. And it's not always gonna be that way. The world is not just going to absolutely accept everything you say and cater to your needs for your child. That's not the way it works, unfortunately. So we always have to meet others where they are at, whether it's your child, whether it's a parent and you're a therapist, whether you're a parent and it's your spouse or other family members, you can only proceed when they are ready. And you can be a role model for your spouse, family members, or teachers or other people in your child's life. You know, I think all of us go through things where we, we are, have terrible things said to us by family members because they just don't understand autistic behavior or you know the meltdowns or they blame you for something that's going on with your child and like horrible things but you have to realize like they haven't walked in your shoes they don't understand what's happening can't take those kinds of things personally you have to realize where they're at and sometimes um, you know you can have conversations with friends and sometimes you're going to get people who are really empathetic about it and other times people are going to be jerks to you (laughs) that's just the way it is but one thing that my mother-in-law had said to me that really stood out to me i was we were talking about funding in general and how ontario's autism program they were you know revising things and i was talking about how important it is that we try and get floor time in the mix and not just all behavioral therapy and um, I must have been really complaining. And so my mother-in-law said to me, hey, you know, you can't go around, you know, acting elitist like, oh, floor time's the best and everybody should know about this and they're bad because they're not. Um, they aren't as enlightened about it yet. And that's your job to enlighten people about DIR. And that's one thing. And, and again, it's not to say, oh, we we know everything, we're DIR and everybody else isn't as good. I, I don't mean that either. But what I mean is, you know, things are the way they are. They've been the way they are. They're behavioral. That's the way the world is. We're moving more towards developmental approaches as neuroscience informs us, as all the other science informs us, as the research builds for why developmental approaches work better than behavioral approaches. Not to say that they're Some behavioral approaches don't work in certain scenarios here and there. But, um, you know, Jackie, I've heard you say this all the time. You've said it to me, like, let's get one person at a time to realize one by one by one. And, uh, Dr. Kathy Platzman in one of our podcasts said co-regulation starts with the technique and ends with being a way of life. (laughs) And I know that, um, you know, even Dr. Andrea Davis, uh, who's a psychologist as well, has said in podcasts that, you know, at their clinic in California, they're all floor timing each other all the time and they floor time the family members. And Jackie, I've heard you say that you your children were neurotypical and you floor timed them all the time as well. And you floor time with your husband and <laughs> your, your little guy would say to you, are you floor timing me, mom yeah. or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> the one said to the other one, I think she's floor timing us.
1: <laughs> you know, y- yes, y- floor time everywhere all the time. And it's it, it is a wonderful resource. And the reason that it's so wonderful is because it's about it's about human connections. And that's that's what what we all every one of us as a human being is really driven to. And I think this last quote from from Dr. Platzman, co-regulation starts with a technique and ends with being a way of life. If we think about where we started this 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 conversation at number 1 was about accepting reality and we, we you know it's 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 what we have to do and this when we start doing floor time we think about this co-regulation and co-regulation is that first moment when we start to accept the reality. And then the technique ends with being a way of life where we can feel comfortable and emotionally safe and emotionally okay with, with the, 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 the fabulous child that each of us has been given. And I think that, that's, that, that, you know, that that's, the, that's the big takeaway for me. And I think all of the steps in between that you had, they all filter into that process of, of, of number one.
0: Yeah. And it, I think it's easier for me to co-regulate with my child and to floor time my child per se. And I'm working on the adult piece because I know in the online parent support group, you always want to meet the parents where they're at, but there's still a part of me that's putting myself in their shoes that just wants the answers. And I feel like, I have this experience. I want to tell you and help you as opposed to really meet them where they're at and guide their process. And so I think, um, you know, as, as everybody who I've talked to, who's been doing floor time for years, they're always learning. That's my process in floor time now is really applying floor time to other areas as well, especially with other parents.
1: Well, and, and applying floor time to yourself. Mm-hmm. Floor timing yourself and giving yourself the space to be.
0: Well, thank you, Jackie. I really appreciated your insights onto these uh points that I came up with. And I hope that listeners enjoyed seeing the the 10 revelations that I came up with. And there's probably more. I didn't spend a huge amount of time thinking about it. These were the first 10 that popped into my head and I went with them. Um, I'd be interested to hear from listeners if you wanna comment on the blog post at affectautism.com or if you wanna email, um, that would be great. And here is the email address and here's the website and a link to the parent support virtual meetings every week is in the blog post as well. So uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed that. And again, thank you, Jackie. That was great to have you on board to sort of review what I presented. As always, it's a, it's a pleasure to do this with you.
1: I really enjoy it. Thanks, for, thanks so much for uh, letting me uh, participate.
0: Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.